It's go time for the Athlete Fix Podcast, helping you help others win at life. Introducing your friendly neighborhood host, JG. Right, so today we've got Craig on the podcast and me and go, Craig go way back. Um, he in in you know in many ways i mean we're we're obviously we're, we're kind of former colleagues he was my boss back when i worked for the physio lounge um but we're also really good mates and so craig i've seen him uh as as a patient myself the topic we're talking about is shoulder instability with a sort of sub topic of labral injuries because both you know myself and craig have both um uh, actually you know suffered with this type of injury ourselves and I think Craig's going to have some really good insights, not just as a physio, but as a, as a sort of, I guess, um, a patient himself who's had this injury. So I really want to get him on the on the podcast to sort of share some clinical pearls with you. Um, aiming the game today, the way we're going to go through it is we're going to go through it as if a patient, you know, if you're listening to this as a physio or as any uh, type of therapist, we're going to sort of go through this um, as if you know, um, a patient like this walked into clinic yourself. So we're going to go through sort of the subjective history. Um, we're going to go through the objective kind of examination and finish up with with management and um, take from there. So thanks for coming on, uh, buddy. Really appreciate it. Uh, I thought what might be a good place to start in terms of sort of subjective is from your own personal history, how did you how did you sustain your own injury like what was the what was the mechanism what was the onset and and what sort of symptoms did you first start experiencing yeah well thanks for having me on it's uh, it's nice to be able to sort of talk about these things uh to hopefully help some other clinicians with my own experience but basically it was quite an innocuous um incident or trauma really to mine uh, i was actually I, I used to climb a lot and it was at the end of a sort of climbing session. I was in a handstand push-up position. We were doing sort of some, just some like conditioning stuff at the end of the session. Um, and I'd done a couple of sort of sets and I got to the end of that last set, uh, probably a few reps in. And um, I just felt a bit of a, almost like a subluxation. It was when I was a student, actually. So at the time, my knowledge was was sort of a little bit more limited. Um, and I just felt something not quite right at the back of my shoulder. And I didn't really think anything of it after that. I was able to continue with most things uh, through my life. And then it, as the next sort of year or two transpired, I was struggling in the gym quite a lot. I'd, I'd noticed that um, my left side just didn't have the same push and power as the other side. I'd ache for days afterwards around my shoulder. Um, and I couldn't really pinpoint a specific issue. Um, and that's when I went to see our shoulder specialist at Warrington Hospital, who sort of suggested there could be some sort of label type pathology in there. Um, so we we did a bit of rehab on it and it still didn't feel quite right. Ended up having a, a an MR arthrogram, um, which um, was actually inconclusive at the time. Mm, um, interesting. And the consultant sort of suggested that there could be maybe some some instability um, and because of the um, like, time scale symptoms suggested that we we sort of look now to try some something surgical given the fact that it has all the signs of instability um, and there the maybe was a little bit of dye sort of coming out of the capsule at the time but they weren't entirely sure. So they um, 
listing me for surgery and he had a, he actually went in anterior first thinking it was an anterior uh, instability. Um, didn't find anything wrong with the labrum anteriorly and then went in posteriorly and found a small um, posterior label tear. Mm. Um, repaired it and we sort of rehabbed it and, and it was probably about three years after that I was still having problems. It was when we had my my first child and I was struggling to lift him up and everything like that. So got a second opinion with with uh, Len Funk uh, and he did some objective tests. He arranged a CT MR um, and we found that it, it, it increased hugely. Um, mm. And it was interesting actually speaking to Len about it because he said that we should label this um, physio shoulder because what he suggested is <laughs> that physios notoriously load the posterior aspect of the labrum um, when we're doing manual therapies and soft tissue sort of type mm. treatments. Uh, and if you sort of imagine that sort of force pushing that shoulder back posteriorly, um, you can sort of understand why. Um, now, because I'd already had some trauma there, um, the sort of theory was that me, I had actually just had the surgery and then I went working in professional rugby. So it was very uh, intense sort of manual therapy type work that I was doing with the, with the guys. Um, and what he suspects is that that type of work has then led for that smaller tear to sort of increase. Um, and it became a 180 degree tear of the labrum um, mm. in the end. So it, it sort of almost like a zip breaking in the, in the middle of a, um, they've been closed and then it's sort of just gradually yeah. opening up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the sort of theory behind it. And um, yeah, he basically sort of said, look, it's, it's a decent size there. If you want to keep active, um, you can try rehab again, but you know, we probably want to get in there and, and do some, some repair, which is, uh, which is what I had done. And to be fair now, I still have, I still have some problems with it. You know, it's not, it's not exactly the same as, as my right side. I think not 100%. Yeah, yeah, surgical, yeah. We, we always expect to have some limitations. You know, they tend to tighten up the capsule to sort of help with the instability. And, mm. um, you know, it's definitely not the same. You know, you might even see me during this video, just sort of, I always do this little bit of a move around with my shoulder. Cause little it's a stiff and, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, and that's become a, maybe a, a bit of a tick over the years from, from having this injury and this right. issue. Um, but you know, it, it definitely allowed me to get back to, to some of the things. Um, and we can touch on, I guess the decision-making process for surgery versus non-surgery yeah. um, and yeah. the sort of discussions that people might want to be having with their patients uh, when we get onto the management phase of this uh, later on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, that was, I mean, there were so many sort of little nuggets um, in there from what you described. So what I want to just, before we move on to um, objective and management and sort of decision making like you said is just to go back to some of the points you made especially about I think it's really interesting uh what you said about um what um Len said about sort of the coining the term physio shoulder um and that actually even though sort of debatably like kind of less less common to sustain kind of labral injury posteriorly that I guess also that, that as he's saying that very much depends on on um, patient population and demographic because in your in your case you, you'd also mentioned um, uh, although it was kind of um, 
innocuous onset that you had been doing some a lot of compressive loading with your conditioning with your with your handstands and stuff so to tie it back to i guess uh, hypothetically imagine if sort of student you at the time came in and saw present you in the clinic um what sort of what sort of questions are you asking initially at at, at that stage you mentioned it was sort of uh in your case, it was kind of insidious onset. So are you are you asking, or afraid to put it another way, are you expecting or generally when, you, when you've seen this type of injury yourself um, as a physio, do you generally find it's more kind of insidious onset? Um, have you had many kind of uh, guys that have come in sort of with more of a traumatic onset? What sort of yeah. questions are you, are you asking to kind of tease out mechanism onset that that kind of thing yeah i mean it absolutely depends on, on many factors like you say so age occupation level of uh, activity small whatever they, they may be doing um i guess by the time sometimes people come into it, it may have been months if not years that these people have been having some problems and they might have already had some investigations that, that have been inconclusive um we have we had one recently actually it was only uh, probably a couple of months ago um who was a boxer very traumatic felt something immediately not right in his shoulder uh, when he he hit a, a a hook um and immediate pain and um basically sort of struggling to move and, and dysfunction and things like that but then his range of motion would come back quite quickly um so again i think what i'm looking for is mechanism so when we go back from the history was there a mechanism could we think back to something and it, it was only when i sort of thought back to that particular incident that made me think actually you know from a posterior labor perspective i'm in flexion um maybe i went into a bit of adduction and internal rotation which would definitely put some load through that post labrum mm -hmm. um so you can start to think well start thinking, you know maybe there was some connection to that as an initial trauma that could have led to this being problematic for me down the line um so those are the things we sort of look for i think um you know when somebody comes in with instability and it maybe is from a, an old trauma or something that they can't really remember um objectively they often look quite good um in terms of range of motion um, and, and we'll touch on that in a, in a bit i guess when we go through that but um they all will always struggle to sort of pinpoint this sort of um specific area of where the pain actually is um and my experience personally is and then this is what i was sort of saying to people that i was seeing at the time is you know i'd uh, i'd be fine if i wasn't loading it i wouldn't go to the gym and if I sort of tried to do anything, and it could, I don't think I really specifically looked at it, but it seemed to be a lot more pushing-related issues for me. Um, so if I was trying to like bench press or shoulder press or uh, those types of pushing activities, um, it wouldn't necessarily be my shoulder that was sore. I would often feel it in, in other areas. So mm. maybe my pec or my, my trap or levator or rhomboids, thoracic, that sort of area. Mm. So it felt like I was... You know, I'd, I'd sort of try and just push through and I kept going through these phases of um, peaks and troughs. You know, I'd sort of think oh, I'm not going to train because it, it irritated it and then I'll, I'll probably sort of take a bit of time off and then it'd feel better. And then I think, well, I need to get back in the gym. So I'd, I'd go and have another session and then, I'd, mm. and then I'd react again. So it was very much up and down. And, and that's the sort of thing I'd look for with these sorts of patients because, um, you know, something's not quite right 
what we've got to remember is they can probably do the day-to-day things fairly well. It's more those high-level activities that they might be struggling with, and especially if they're active and they're sporty, you know, this is the sort of stuff that will help us when we come to making decisions on management further down the line. Um, yeah, I think the yeah, other yeah. thing I'd be asking is, uh, or they'd, I'd expect them to sort of talk about, I guess, would be, you know, are they feeling any clunking? Did they feel anything? If they have had trauma, what happened? Could they continue activity? Mm. Um, generally, I I let them try to describe it in their own words as much as I can, rather than sort of trying to put words into their mouth. Because um, I think sometimes we can be guilty as physios of, of sort of thinking, oh, oh, it's probably this. And then you ask questions looking yeah. for the answer. Um, but I think sometimes it's good to just sort of step back and, and let them, you know, have a couple of minutes of just telling you what's been going on and then you can maybe probe a little bit further into sort of specifics as you go. Yeah, that, yep, I 100% agree with that. Uh, and I think I think we could probably all hold our hands up and, and say we've been guilty of sort of maybe um, jumping in a little bit prematurely, uh, interrupting the patient's story um, and um, sometimes going in with a bit of a preconceived notion of what the diagnosis is. Um, and then maybe kind of, um, you know, shoehorning, uh, the, um, the responses, uh, the results of tests, et cetera, to sort of fit our initial hypothesis. Um, so, okay, that's good. That's yeah. great. So you mentioned, you mentioned things like, for example, whilst there can be traumatic, uh, absolutely sort of traumatic, um, onset patients that you know, a lot of them are kind of more of that in insidious onset mechanisms, really key, um, types of uh, sort of pain presentation is it's not particularly localized quite diffuse vague kind of a spread into really a a, a much wider sort of um of area um and um you mentioned sort of aggravating activities things uh that you were doing in the gym like bench press uh and i think you'd, you'd sorry you'd just come back to before you'd mentioned that actually at the time when you had this uh or or uh, at one point in time that it was kind of lifting up your little one was quite painful um so hmm. are there are there any other particular aggravating activities that that you notice like a sort of pattern recognition wise any any sort of consistency both from your own experience and people you've seen um aggravating activity wise i guess it seems to be from my experience more um loaded type activities you know um i personally didn't really have any problems sort of lying on my side i think what you can get and this is something to be wary of depending on the time scale of symptoms uh, and it's something that did develop for me um and we're sort of moving away from the term impingement now we're sort of moving more towards the subacromial pain syndrome um <laughs> sort of terminology but um you know you you can you've got to think about are we developing these things secondary as well so you know it, it may, depending on the time scale, it, it may sort of muddy the waters a little bit if you've mm. got someone who's had sort of chronic instability um, that's then sort of leading to to sort of other issues around um, that subacromial space. You know, are we developing secondary um, problems because of that? So, you know, that person may come in actually looking like a, a subacromial pain patient um, or rotate, rotator cuff related issue patient but actually there could well be some underlying instability there that that hasn't been picked up so um you know it's just being being aware of those things um as a possibility given 
the fact that some of them might have had issues. So I think the key for that is if, if there's been a change, so if they sort of presented with an issue two years ago um, and then they sort of say, well, in the last sort of couple of months I started with this pain and that's what sort of led me to, to do something about it. Um, has there been a change in, in the presentation? But is that because there's maybe some underlying instability? Mm. Um, I think as sort of physios at times, we we can overlook things, especially when it becomes, um, when someone's got full range of motion, you know, uh, I think we, as shoulders in particular, people tend to to diagnose the rotator cuff and the um, mm. sort of impingement, so we're going with pain type conditions more quickly or your frozen shoulders. Um, but especially in your younger athletic um, or active individual, you know, could there have been some instability? And yes, we haven't, talked about dislocations you know we don't always have to have a dislocation to get labeled pathology um i think that's quite a key thing to think about you know there could be um a subluxation which is what happened in my case um which was the initial trauma and then repetitive strain from work then extended that initial trauma further um so you know we we, we can't always sort of assume that we're only going to get a label pathology through from a traumatic event yeah Absolutely. So don't don't forget um, don't forget about that kind of repetitive micro trauma. Don't let that don't let it don't be fooled just because you haven't seen a kind of major macro trauma or a kind of traumatic event or a full dislocation to to mistakenly yeah. assume that you don't have the possibility of getting um, uh, labeled damage. That's great. Um, you mentioned that uh, about decision making. So whilst we're still on the subjective and we before we move on. Let's talk that. Let's talk about that. So at this juncture, um, what, what in your mind, when it comes to decision-making process at this point would, would make you think, okay, I'm going to escalate this person for a surgical opinion sooner rather than later? Or actually, no, I think you've got a decent chance of doing all right, or at least with a trial of conservative management before we start looking into mm-hmm. surgery. Are, are there any sort of criteria yeah. in your mind that, that kind of filter through when you're making yeah. that kind of decision? I, I guess, um, again, age is, is a factor, um, activity level. So for me, I, I worked in professional rugby at St. Helens Rugby League Club. Um, occupation became a big thing within those guys because that was the job. So because they were young, athletic, and that was their work, um, I think a surgical opinion would, would be considered much faster in, in somebody in that environment than maybe someone that was more sedentary, maybe a little bit older, um, wasn't very active in terms of their hobbies. Um, you know, you'd maybe start to think about more sort of non-operative, non-surgical management which is another term I'm uh, adopting com- in comparison to conservative management because you know, non-operative management isn't conservative. It's intense. It's mm. physical. It involves a lot it's of great, strength. It's a great so, point, actually. You know, <laughs> yeah. Gives the uh, I stole it? that one from uh, Mick, Mick Hughes, uh, who does a lot of stuff around ACLs. And, oh, and Mick Hughes. That he, saw, yeah, 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 yeah. he talks a lot about that. And I think you know, it's a really, really interesting point because I think as a patient, if somebody says to you that we're doing a conservative approach, you know, hearing that in comparison to sort of non-operative, you know, the terminology can be really key in terms of how you're delivering that and how what Great they're point. expecting to get from that. Great um, and are they expecting for that conservative management to fail because you've used the word conservative rather than, than non-operative? 
Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think those things really will affect the decision um, on whether we would consider, first of all, imaging. Um, unfortunately, there are other decisions that will be made, I guess, in terms of whether someone has access to sort of private health insurance, in which case that can be done a lot quicker. So um, maybe if someone does have private health cover, you may sort of try some rehabilitation initially um, and try that sort of non-surgical approach, depending on what you've seen in your, your objective testing. Um, get that started and then you can sort of quickly refer somebody in to a private consultant or a scan if necessary. Yeah. Um, obviously with the NHS, that's going to take longer. So what you could end up doing is sort of doing some rehab with somebody for, for a few months and then they improve and they regress. And I think this might have happened in your case, actually, if I recall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you may regress a little bit. Um, and then we start the NHS referral process at that point, which is then taking, you know, another three months. So um, I think that's something that we need to be considering in, in this. You know, do we, do, we sort of, do we have enough from our subjective and our objective testing to indicate that this would maybe need a scan? And start the rehab there and then and hope that things improve. Um, but if they haven't, then at least we're going to get some sort of more information as to what's actually happening there. And it may be that it just confirms what we found and we can carry on with that um, sort of non-operative approach. Um, or you've gone through that non-operative approach, really hammered your rehab, worked really hard, and then you're still having issues, in which case then, you know, the surgical opinions um, sort of required. Yeah. Um, Surgery again, I don't think you can really make that call in that initial session without imaging hmm. because, um, you know, it'll be the imaging that will will play a big role in sort of the level of the severity of what we're finding in, yeah. in sort of in terms of, you know, the injury. So have we got hill sacks? Have we got a latage? Have we got um, a large label to... Um, you know, what else is going on in there? Um, are there signs of multi-direction instability, you know, um, that sort of thing. So I think that surgical decision, again, will depend on the, the sort of imaging, the the age, um, occupation, if, if, if it's relevant, yeah. uh, and the level of activity that that person's uh, currently working at. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's um, so it's, a, it's a great point you, you mentioned about the sort of where you you can have in your in your mind as a physio the perfect pathway ideally for say re referral in this case but it's not but it's not a perfect world as well and like you said everyone's going to be coming in to see you with the, in different situations um you mentioned yeah. about my experience which i think is probably a useful thing for anybody listening to to hear actually at this point as well because i was in a situation where my previous job i had um I had uh, private medical insurance with Booper, uh, but and I was, a sod's law that I didn't have it because I changed jobs at the time I got this injury. So I had to go through the uh, th through the public system through the NHS route. And when I saw Craig, we sort of we we you know we discussed this. You know, we'll come on to what we did because uh, I'd, I'd really like to mention that because he had some really kind of interesting ideas about rehab that were very helpful. So we'll, we'll come on to that. Come back to that in management. But in terms of kind of. Uh, referrals we sort of said okay yeah we can let's get the ball rolling um, to get some imaging done but via the NHS route I can tell you that there were a lot of hoops um, that I had to jump through and it was as you can probably imagine when you're listening to this um, maybe you've had this experience yourself of trying to you know get um, 
uh, trying to get uh, you know onward referral through the NHS, either for yourself or for your patient, it's not quick. Um, and equally, you have to kind of, or at least I found, I had to sort of push quite a lot at every juncture to um, to, to get what it was um, that I wanted. Um, and, um, and, and, and actually, maybe you can sort of shed some light on this, Craig, because I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, sort of the, the, the gold standard imaging um, for this uh, type of injury would be the MRA. Um, in terms of sort of high sensitivity to to kind of rule out, I'm not sure what the specificity values on it are, but in any case, um, that was something I had a physio triage initially, where I described my injury, and she wanted to send me straight for sort of well, say straight for her opinion was okay, X-ray and an ultrasound, and I was sort of going, mm, well, <laughs> that isn't sort of ideally what I was kind of looking for and you know you don't want to um uh, you know offend anybody or sort of uh, you know question their own clinical judgment but it's a it's a difficult situation to be in when you're thinking okay well this is the sort of imaging this is the gold standard that I would like to sort of get to the, as, a, as accurate a representation of what's going on structurally um but then you're going to come up against um other people in that referral process who may not necessarily agree with you or it may be based their decisions may obviously be influenced on on just sort of uh cost uh etc and that kind of thing so i have actually recently don't want to take up too much time of the episode of my own my own uh, history but um in the end it was debated this physio actually had a, a chat with her clinical supervisor and, and finally I managed to, um, I had I had the x-ray, no bony injury, but I think that was uh, kind of, uh, um, that was kind of, sorry, Zoom's telling me that I've only got 10 minutes left. <laughs> um, I think that was uh, uh, sort of um, uh, pretty much um, certain that, that, that in my in my particular case um that wasn't that was going to be negative for any bony injury um ended up getting the mri still awaiting the results from the mri and i'm gonna have a consultant uh, review hopefully sooner rather than later um but uh but yeah anyway just to, just to sort of wrap up that point is that it's obviously going to be different depending on um the the whether your patient has private medical insurance or not um and uh anyway yeah just to come back to 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 move it move it along from the assess from subjective so objective you mentioned that um uh you know len funk did some particular tests with you uh obviously you you did some particular tests with me any sort of um uh tests or ex you know examination pros you know process that you that you generally like to do to sort of maybe differentiate between direction of instability anterior posterior labral injury that that sort of thing yeah oh, the kids things are talking to me in the background um <laughs> so yeah basically um like i say i think a lot of these patients might come in and they might have full range of motion i think as as physios, we can be guilty of sort of looking out thinking that, you know, oh, they've got a full range, you know, they can move their arm in every direction. Yeah, you'd be right. <laughs> um, you know, what, what can be wrong with this shoulder? Um, so obviously linking that, I mean, your subjective and what they're experiencing, the limitations in there. Um, but if we're, we'd want to rule all the other stuff out, obviously, as well. So you, you might want to check cuff just in case if there has been trauma, um, depending on the, the sort of how recent, if there was a dislocation, you might not want to be doing some of these tests 
right now because of the risk of redislocation. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally, if, if people are struggling and they've had a dislocation, I generally, if they've got private health insurance, try to get them scanned just to be sort of sure as to what's going on in terms of the labrum. Um, doesn't necessarily mean we want a surgical opinion right there and then. It just gives us an indication if, if the labrum is intact or not and how much we can push them with the rehab or what we might want to incorporate into that. Um, if there is a small labrum to do we want to bring in some some anterior stability exercises, if it's a pancart or whatever. The, the main test I would look at, um, I mean, I never used to do the sulcus sign routinely if I suspected instability. And that is mainly coming from my experience working with Professor Funk when he assessed me. Um, it more sort of specifically use of multidirectional instability, but it can be a good indicator um, of whether there is some instability in that in that shoulder, you know, if you're not quite sure. Um, so the sulcus sign is one that I would definitely use now if I'm suspecting that any instability. Um, and then if we want to think about anterior posterior instability, well, the um, crank test, which we can do in sitting or standing, and it's just the feeling of an, uh, apprehension in that position. Um, I use the relocation test quite a lot as well with, with my patients, uh, which again is an indicator of some anterior instability. Um, so supine, uh, abduction, external rotation, and then we relocate and uh, it feels less apprehensive to, to sort of go into that uh, yeah. position. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy we had in recently uh, actually one of my colleagues was assessed him and said can you just give me an opinion on this one um, he was really positive on um, apprehension and relocation test um, it, I think a difficult one sometimes is determining between a slap and a, a banker and I think you know at times you, you, you might think it's a slap because of, uh, they might have a positive speed as well and they might have some anterior instability. I think ultimately, if, you, if you're noticing that as a trauma, let the scan sort of direct us and it'll tell us, you know, which which type of uh, structure's been involved in there. Because a bank cart and a slap can still feel that apprehension in uh, the relocation test. Mm. And then from a posterior uh, instability perspective, uh, the KIMS test, so it's described as the KIMS lesion. Um, so we were just basically... Um, take them into um, sort of flexion with in rotation neutral in, into sort of this position and then we would just do a uh, an AP sort of direction so we're pushing the humeral head back and we're looking for any increasing movement in comparison to the opposite side it's a little bit more difficult to do because there can be some shoulder girdle compensations and things as you can imagine yeah um, they're the sort of ones I would be sort of really looking at um, when I'm looking at instability um, there are some other things we can try, draw tests and things like that, but you know, you don't want to get too bogged down in lots and lots of different different tests. So think mechanism, you know, um, I think that's going to really guide you in terms of where the shoulder was. As I said, in my position, I was in a lot of flexion. I was in probably going into some abduction internal rotation, which is going to make me think more posterior labrum. Mm. Um, whereas if we're in abduction external rotation, then we're going to be thinking more uh, anterior labrum. Um, so those are things that, that we want to be thinking about um, when we're doing our testing. So we're not just sort of blind thinking, oh, I haven't got a clue which, which test to do. You know, yeah. you want to use that subjective information to guide you in terms of what you, you're looking at objectively. Yeah. Uh, obviously having with all that, you know, other other issues with the cuff and um, you know, your sort of subacromial pain testing that you would that you would do. You might find these guys sometimes have painful arc as well. 
mm. um, because of the instability. So depending on the level of that, you may get a painful arc, um, especially if they've got things like Latagier or um, Hill Sachs lesions, you know, you might sort of notice that. They're not really going to have those things unless they had a big, big dislocation. Um, so, you know, those are things that are usually would get picked up in because they tend to like to x-ray. Um, so you should get picked up early on. Yeah. Um, to see if there is any hill sacks type pathology or lesions from, from the yeah. trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. So I'm, I'm conscious that we've got, well, no, four minutes now. Great. <laughs> um, so what, what we'll do is maybe touch on the management. Uh, potentially, yeah. potentially, just thinking out loud here, it might be uh, worthwhile um, doing another episode another time to go through management so we don't so we do it justice rather than obviously yeah going to be, yeah. diffi- be difficult to get um, a decent uh, decent sort of take on management in in four minutes but anyway let's just um, yeah. jump on do what we can so you know you show me what I really liked is we did some we did some sort of uh, different kind of isometrics that you that you showed me um, when I came yeah. in to see it, anything in particular, obviously it's going to depend on very much on the, on the individual patient, but is there, what's your sort of general, general approach when it comes to, um, sort of, uh, labral injuries, shoulder instability, when it comes to management, um, physio wise? Yeah. So obviously we will have had that conversation about surgery, surgery versus non-surgery. Um, and a lot of the management stuff would still apply to your post-op patient. I think as well anyway, in terms of giving them some stability around there. Um, so yeah, we touched on that before on decision-making and when we would sort of get somebody down the surgical route or not. Um, but from a sort of non-operative approach, the Derby shoulder protocol is, is a really good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of um, sort of exercises in there to, to sort of help us with that control of uh, the shoulder uh, glenohumeral joint. Some really, really good research on using that effectively for uh, instability patients. Um, I have found that weight-bearing exercises can be really effective, not just for instability, but I use them a lot for my subcombinant pain patients. Um, you know, getting lots of sensory feedback through the glenohumeral joint in a weight-bearing position. Um, so these are things that I tend to sort of incorporate, as you found, uh, into rehab. So we're, we're getting lots of serratus activity in there. Um, we're, we're getting the sort of joint sort of used to some load uh, in that position as well. Again, I think the shoulder joint is often seen as a non-weight-bearing joint, but you know, in actual fact, especially if we're in the gym or you know even day-to-day life, we will be using that joint in a weight-bearing capacity. You know, depending on our sort of jobs, you know, think tilers, floor fitters, you know, they'll be loading through their arm to, to reach for things. So, you know, we can train them to sort of get better control in those positions um, through lots of different exercises in four-point kneeling, plank positions. We can then make that more dynamic with burr crawls and we can put bands around there to get some better cuff activation if you feel like you need to do that. Um downward dog into a shoulder press you know a really nice way to introduce someone mm. into overhead pressing um so i've got a post-op uh bank patient who's a crossfitter dislocated doing a snatch which is not an uncommon thing that we've seen <laughs> uh, and we've done a lot of this stuff with her and she's really benefited from that really good really good so uh, 
I'll say thanks so much again for, for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it. Okay. Really, really fascinating to, to hear your take on this. And uh, yeah, we'd love to get you on again at some point when you're free to uh, delve in even deeper to, to treatment and management at some point. 